Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Paul Kelly, and I'm the Pro Director, and it's my great pleasure on behalf of LSE to welcome here the um, our distinguished speaker, His Excellency Juan Carlos Varela, the President of Panama. LSE um, is, is, is always welcoming of senior politicians, leaders who inform the debates that make this institution what it is. And I look out and I see students from the region, from the country, other engaged individuals, newspaper reporters, academics. This is precisely what the LSE does, and therefore we're very grateful to have the President here Thank to be part of that. So I won't introduce the lecture. I will invite Alvaro to do that. But it is, as I say, on behalf of the school, it is a great pleasure for us to have the President here to speak to us. And therefore, it's my great pleasure to welcome him. Thank you, Professor Kelly, for your kind introduction. It's a great day, beautiful day. It's my pleasure to be here, President, Vice President, ministers, ambassadors, faculty members, students, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LSE. My alma mater, <laughs> Latin American by birth, and I am very excited to be here as a Latin American as well. This important event is hosted by LSE Ideas and the Global South Unit as part of the CAF LSE Leadership Lecture Series. My name is Dr. Alvaro Mendez, and I'm the co-director of the Global South Unit and a senior research fellow in the International Relations Department. I'm very pleased to be here today to chair this lecture by the President of Panama, Juan Carlos Varela. Panama and LSE have a strong standing relationship. I learned last week from Vice President Isabel Saint de Melo de Alvarado that more than 100 years ago, a young student from Panama called Armodio Arias Madrid came to study at the LSE. In 1911, he successfully defended his PhD thesis entitled some Latin American contributions to the development of international law. Very, very good PhD title. I wanted to see for myself, and I'm very pleased to tell you that I found the thesis. It's in our LSE library. Soon afterwards, he went on to publish his book, The Panama Canal, A Study in International Law and Diplomacy. Very pleased to tell you that I also found it in the LSE library. And it's pretty amazing because they digitize everything so, so quickly. Uh, and I'm very old-fashioned, and I was able to find it, it says 1911. I'm very jealous of Dr. Harmodio Arias Madrid for being so prolific to not only the PhD, but also a few months later, a book. Dr. Harmodio Arias Madrid went back to Panama and became a pioneer politician who tackled inequality and protected the less privileged in society. In 1920, he became Panama's first delegate to the League of Nations and later served the National Assembly. In 1932, he became the president of Panama. In 1935, he established the University of Panama. His original thesis, as I said before, and books are still held in our central library and continue to benefit our students. I'm going to put a special hold down on this book. I was just able to check this one this morning. In more recent times, Panama and LSE have also strengthened their ties in 2016 Vice President and Minister of Foreign Affairs, Isabel Sainz de Mello, came to the LSE for the liberal lecture, uh, an astounding lecture which I had the honor to chair. Last week, LSE was in Panama. 
I was there with other LSE colleagues conducting a series of academic workshops in Panama City as part of our research agenda investigating the diplomatic relationship between Panama and China. As some of you may know, Panama established diplomatic relations with China in June 2017. In less than 11 months, Panama has made more progress with China than Costa Rica has done in 11 years of bilateral relations, or Colombia in 38 years of diplomatic relations with Beijing. This thanks to the leadership of President Varela. Mr. Varela was elected Vice President of the Republic of Panama in July 2009. In March 2013, he became the presidential candidate for the Panamanista Party, and in August of that same year, he was proclaimed candidate of the Alliance El Pueblo Primero formed by the Panamanista Party and the Popular Party with the support of the independent sectors of the country. In May 2014, he was elected President of the Republic of Panama for the 2014-2019 constitutional period. He graduated as an industrial engineer from the Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech, in the U.S. His visit to the U.K. is historic and unprecedented. Yesterday was the first time that a Panamanian President met with a Prime Minister of the United Kingdom which is very wonderful. For those Twitter users in the audience, the hashtag for today's event is hashtag LSE Panama. May I please ask you to put your phones on silent, unless you're tweeting, of course, <laughs> um, not so that you don't disrupt the event. This event is being recorded and will be hopefully be available as a podcast in the next few days. We will let you know. As usual, after the lecture, there will be the chance for you to put your questions to the president. But now, will you please join me in welcoming President Varela to the LSE to deliver his lecture entitled Transparency, the most important pillar in a functional democracy. Well, well, first I would like to thank Dr. Alvaro Mendez for this introduction and before I begin my speech, and I just want to let you know because of the information he just gave us that Dr. Armodio Arias was the brother of Dr. Arnulfo Arias. Both of them founded a social movement called Acción Comunal, that gave birth to the political party, Partido Panameñista. I was the president of Partido Panameñista for 10 years, uh, and I started my political career when I was 16 years old, a long time ago, in that party, when his brother, Arnulfo Arias, came from exile to Panama. So I was there helping to organize the welcoming uh, rally uh, in May, well, a long time ago, 40 years ago, June uh, uh, 10, 1978 after the Panama Canal treaties were signed by former uh, General Torrijos and President Carter, Carter put two conditions. One, okay, give the canal back to Panama, but also Panamanian military must turn in uh, the power to the to democracy, to the people. So today, uh, when you mentioned that, it's, uh, also it's really touches me a lot because it's a lot of memories of my political career, 40 years since I was 14 years old. My first... Uh, the first memory I have of my political career was when I was eight years old, and I went to my, to my school very young, and I saw the picture of a, of a priest that uh, has been uh, kidnapped by the military. And I asked, I asked uh, my teacher what happened to the priest, Father Hector Gallegos, and he said they disappeared the priest because he was helping the people. So at, when I was very young, at eight years old, I learned the risk that you take when you join public life. And today I'm building a road, a 60-kilometer road that connects the Pacific with the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and I'm going to dedicate that road to Father Hector Gallegos in the that he worked for the poor people of my country. So also, Dr. Armodio Arias designed the city of Colón, a city of 16 streets, 
but with 41 gangs. And that's one of the main challenges that I have today. I'm putting $1.2 billion in that city, building 5,000 new homes, and making that city a free zone to relaunch the city and the commercial strategy of the city. And that city was designed, it was, used to be a beautiful city. It's on the Atlantic side, big risk, many ports that are now shipping a lot of drugs to Europe, and we have to take care of that, a big challenge, a big threat for Europe now because of the increase of drug production in Colombia. But that city is going to be renovated. The gangs are going to be dismantled. They're going to be moved to a, just a new area that we built 5,000 homes, and it's going to be a safe city. So I would all thank you for bringing all those memories, and I just wanted to share with you something very special for me, which is this project, the renovation of the Colón City. I would say the largest uh, infrastructure project, but it's a social and human project that is being uh, built in Panama and the region. His Excellency Isabel Saimalo Alvarado, Vice President, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Lucio Laguardia, Minister of Finance, His Excellency Augusto Rosemena, Minister of Commerce, His Excellency Damian Potter, Ambassador of the United Kingdom to Panama, thanks for helping us organize this event. Also to Daniel Fabrega, the Panamanian Ambassador to the United Kingdom, Mrs. Olga Cantillo, Panama Stock Exchange Executive and Vice President, Honorable Mr. Den Miruk Chafik, London School of Economics Director, uh, Honorable Mr. Paul Kelly, London School of Economic Pro-Director for Education, Mr. Alvaro, Dr. Alvaro Mendez, Co-Director of London School of Economic Global South Unit, Honorable Member Chris Alden, Co-Director of London School of Economic Global South Unit, Honorable Mr. Michael Cox, London School of Economic Ideas Director, Panamanian Delegation, dear students of London School of Economics, special guests. We are here in the London School of Economics, a university founded by the Fabian Society, a society with which I feel identified with, because its main purpose is to promote great, greater equality of power, wealth, and opportunity, and this is also my purpose in public life. On the night of 4th of May of 2014, after a very difficult campaign where I confronted all the power of the state against me, my family, the Panamanian people chose me to be their president for five years. After I got the news, I publicly announced to the Panamanians that my principal legacy as president was to change politics from a business to a service and to work for a functional democracy for future generations. I thank the London School of Economics for this opportunity to share today not just a personal or a political story, but also a global cause, which is to make transparency the strong win at public life that give us that give our citizens the clarity and the future they deserve. It is a cause that is being fought all around the world, where social media and the right of the citizens to be informed play a very important role. The war is constantly discussing corruption cases, how to attack them, how to avoid them, and how to strengthen institutions so that they are not weakened by this problem. Corruption is a problem that feeds the two main problems in the region, inequality and organized crime. Today, I would like to share with you the Panama case, where the commitment to transparency has been a strong pillar in the transformation of public life in my country. Before I continue, I would like to share of the Panama case one special case, so you can take that, which is the Femechanica case. Probably the Panama case will be about 25 to 30 cases, but the Femechanica case is a very special one that I would like to share with you. When I was Minister of Foreign Affairs and Vice President of Panama, we received the Prime Minister of Italy, Silvio Berlusconi, in a visit to Panama. After his visit, his staff convinced the former President that 
the visit couldn't end without success story for Italy. So they closed the contract of selling Panama $240 million of radars and helicopters. The contract came to cabinet. I was not convinced. I supported the helicopter deal. I, did, I was not convinced about the radars, but we were asked to vote for it. I voted for it. But when I left government, because the fight against corruption inside government, and I campaigned and became the president of Panama, when I became the president, we found that the radars didn't function. They were not useful for our country. Just were able to identify the big merchant ships and not the smaller speed boats that bring drugs into our country to be, to be shipped to other places. So $160 million were lost. $80 million in helicopter were okay. And I remember always this case because it was a very difficult case for me personally. My first visit outside the country. First in Panama, I was briefed that the radar didn't function. So we had $160 million of assets that didn't function for a country. So in my first visit to, to the Vatican to meet Pope Francis, September 2014, I met with the, my new appointed ambassador, Fernando Verguido, in Italy. We met at the hotel very close to the Spanish steps in Rome. And I asked him, you have to go to Fimecanica. You have to negotiate with them. You have to get the money back for our country. So I'm not willing to negotiate because we found that there was a commission of 10% of the contract trying to be deposited in an offshore bank in Switzerland, somewhere else. So he said, I'm not going to negotiate with them because they were involved in this delicate situation. Well, you have to negotiate. You have, you have to recover the money. The, he, we, we debated, and I told him, look, he's, he was fighting, and he's fighting cancer right now. I told him, you, you're getting treated in the best hospital in the United States. I have the same case. I have four hospitals that the contractor left the country. He's not building the, the hospitals. But I have to finish the four hospitals because the Panamanian people, they need the hospitals because they're going to be treated in those hospitals. So if I'm negotiating with this company that's building the hospitals, you have to negotiate with Finecanica. He accepted the job. He hired Howans and Lowell, a law firm that handled the same case for India government, and he started negotiation. After two years, he recovered the money for our country. A credit of $100 million and an ambulance helicopter for free because of the commission they were supposed to, to pay, a helicopter that is worth close to uh, $14 million. Now, as president of Panama, I used the $100 million and that credit to buy two new helicopters for our country to, to support the Coast Guard. The radars were for our Coast Guard. And now I bought two helicopters, eight interdiction speedboats uh, from Damon, one large ship from Damon, uh, two twin other planes, one radar plane from King Air. So I invested all the money back and gave that money back to the Coast Guard. So that was a success story of how we feast. It's, I was just explaining it in two minutes, but this is one book that I will recommend you to read it. In Spanish, it's called Anatomia of una Trampa. Uh, uh, in page 171 of that book, you will find a debate between Ambassador Berguido and President Varela, and that's the road that we took because not all corruption cases end up in courts, because sometimes you have to just solve the problem to protect the people. And that's the presentation that I'm going to make today. We, we were not able to investigate what happened. The case was a difficult case, but the company came to us. They gave us the helicopter. They gave us the credit. And we were able, now today, we're facing the main challenges is the increase of drug production in Colombia that has gone from 500 metric tons to 1,500 metric tons. A big challenge for Europe because a lot of drug is making its way to Europe. This market is paying a lot of money for that drug. 
now we put $100 million in the hands of our Coast Guard to protect not just Panama, Central America, the United States, and Europe. So that's, that's a success story, and that's the Femecanica case, which is one of the 20 cases that compose what I call the Panama case. I received a government where the majority of the companies hired by the former administration for public projects has been involved in irregular practices. It was not an easy operation, since it was our responsibility to comply with transparency and also to protect the economy and the innocent people. Panama has taken an important step in the fight against corruption. The value of an honest government has allowed us to reduce in four years the fiscal deficit, deficit from 6.5% to 1%. At the same time, we have doubled the salaries to 40,000 teachers from $650 a month to $1,300 a month. We've, we have also increased the salaries by 35% to more than 50,000 public health workers and also more than to more than 25,000 security officers by 30% in the past 40 years. The recovered money from corruption, an amount close to $500 million, is being returned to the Panamanian people in incentive to 600,000 public and private workers that were owed to them 40 years ago. Without raising a single tax, we have been able to do this and at the same time invest 7% of our GDP yearly in public infrastructure which is close to $3.75 billion per year, almost $20 billion during my five-year ter term period. In Panama, corruption in the infrastructure work has been eliminated from its roots, doing it in a way that has allowed us to protect 40,000 jobs, $10 billion in public works, and at the same time recover, as I mentioned before, almost $500 million without affecting the innocent population who has no responsibility for these acts. The companies involved in corruption have assumed their responsibility and have been condemned to pay important fines and to finish the works that already were started. The public servants responsible for these acts must be held accountable and compensated for the damage caused to the state. In five years, our government will have built more than 2,000 kilometers of new roads 100,000 new homes for the people of Panama, six new hospitals, 50 new schools, 22 kilometers of the Line 2 of the Metro of Panama, a cruise terminal on the Pacific, a new convention center, and two new water treatment plants, all, all these projects among others. We have a dilemma to be able to do this. Some of the companies that are building these projects have plead guilty of being involved in corruption. And, and some opinion leaders have been attacking us because we haven't seized the right to participate in government tenders. If we would have done that, we would have destroyed the capacity of our country to build project, projects for its people. Thousands of jobs will have been lost and billions of dollars of public money will also have been lost. Also, many communities will have been left without the infrastructure they need in order to improve their quality of life. I put all my political capital and my credibility to defend the way we did it in Panama. Today, I can proudly say here that we took the right decision. We finished many projects. We started building new ones. We saved the jobs and kept a 6% economic growth and reduced insecurity by 50% in the last four years. Other countries also put a big fight against corruption. 
which is the right thing to do. But at the same time, they went, to, they went into an economic recession, lost millions of jobs, and consequently, insecurity raised significantly. I am responsible with my cabinet members for more than $12 billion in new contracts that have been assigned to different companies of all kinds of projects for our people. And I can assure you that all the public tenders have been made with transparency and respect to an open and efficient competition. It hasn't been an easy process. We are attacked every day by newspapers that are being investigated because their purchase could have been linked to corruption money. We're fighting corruption, drug dealers, economic and political interests. This is the cause of doing the right thing for our people. We have strengthened our institution and our democracy in the past four years. All nine officers in charge of accountability appointed by the executive and the legislative branches are not linked to my political parties or to any political parties. They are independent, professional Panamanians. That includes the Attorney General, the Controller, and the Procurator of the Administration. All of them are independent professionals that are doing a great job to protect the interests of the Panamanian people. The political power that I receive from the people has been used only to defend their interests. We're saving hundreds of millions of dollars by managing our country with efficiency and honesty. I can share with you just two examples. The Tucumán Airport, or National Airport, and its new managing team, by eliminating disadvantaging contracts for Panama, is making more than $80 million in additional profit per year, which accounts for $400 million in my five-year presidential term. We reduce the cost of rice per quintal that we imported from other countries from $40 to $25 of more than 1.5 million quintals that are being imported every year, creating savings for more than $80 million to the government. And we gave that money back to rice farmers that are producing in Panama today, paying them $750 a quintal as an incentive for their production. With just these two cases, we're going to save more than $500 million in five years that didn't exist before because of the bad administration of public resources. These savings are being used for the benefit of the people of Panama. Instead of spending money in my image or the image of the government with advertising, I enjoy, as I did it on Sunday, a lot more using that money to give scholarships to young people for them to study in different countries and see them prepare to be the professionals of Panama Future. Some of the college, the directors of the colleges are here, and for me, it's very, I feel very happy when I see all these kids going to the United States, to the United Kingdom, to Canada, to Barbados to study English as a second language. Just, we're sending young kids, 20 years old, to learn English as a second language for six months, and after that, we send them to academies in the United States to be pilots, and at 21 years old, there are the pilots flying planes in Panama, and to more than 76 destinations in America making a very good salary at a very young age. We have invested in more than 10,000 teachers to be trained in English as a second language to make sure that the generation of the future is fully bilingual and ready to the for the jobs that our service economy demands. 1,000 teachers have already been trained in the United Kingdom. Today, Panamanian families that were being left behind of the economic growth of our country are receiving new benefits from the government because of transparency. Panama chose its path and there is no turning back. The society demands transparency 
and we're complying with them. From now on, companies and officials who commit acts of corruption can no longer continue contracting with the government or being part of public life. The Panama case is a success story, and I can proudly say today that without any hesitation that the work that we have done did not affect the innocent, their jobs, nor the infrastructure projects, maintaining the economic growth of Panama while fighting against corruption. The resources of the government must be managed with social criteria and transparency. For that reason, my administration has, has created public policies that reach everyone with education, health, housing, potable water, and economic support to vulnerable populations to ensure that all Panamanians can travel along the path of development. I had a difficult political career, but I have always fought for the correct cause, even if the path was not easy. I kept this conviction, and, I, and it has allowed me to be here today in front of you, narrating my vision of life and leadership for change. What motivates me to work in public life is the interest to serve others. It's not power nor money. I am proud of the results that have been achieved during my administration with transparency and responsibility. However, the greatest satisfaction for me is the certainty that I have acted with loyalty to the values and principles that brought me to public life. In the exercise of power, we must always put the human being at the center of all of our policies, projects, and initiatives. Only this way, we will be able to maintain social peace and development in our countries. I started my political career more aggressively 14 years ago when I became the president of the Panamanista Party. I transformed the party to an open, ideological, and democratic party, a political structure owned by the people to serve the people of Panama. In 2009, I became vice president of Panama and minister of foreign affairs. After losing a battle against corruption inside the former government, I went to the opposition on 2011 and fought hard to win the election in 2014 and changed politics in my country and became the president of Panama. Today, I am leading one of the most stable democracies in our region, one of the safest countries in America, with an average economic growth of 6% in the past four years, the highest in Latin America, inflation less than 1%, and unemployment below 5.1%. Foreign investment has increased by 15%, helping us to create new jobs for the younger generations. Today, we are a place of union and diversity, where 4 million Panamanians are building a better future together with many immigrants that come to our country to look for a better life for their families and themselves, the, and we're building a better future for themselves, the region and the world, with the help of foreign investors, the private sector, and professionals from many countries. We're moving forward, building a functional democracy through transparency and leaving no one behind. Finally, I would like to invite you, all of you, to participate in public life and change your countries by transforming them in a positive way. You will not get the salaries of a Fortune 500 CEO, but you will never experience something greater than the feeling of changing people's lives. If you always choose the path of transparency and service to others, you will succeed in life. Do not use your energies to destroy, but to transform. Learn from mistakes and bad practices and transform your countries, political parties, companies, or homes into a better version of what has already been built. There is no need to destroy everything 
to achieve great change. You don't build a better country by destroying the one you receive. Fight for your ideals. Raise your voice. Use social media in a constructive way and identify common causes. Be the antibiotic that your country needs in order to be healed by corruption or dishonesty. Be ambassador of peace, progress, and prosperity. Looking out at this crowd of young people, I have faith that you will fight the fight for corruption too and that you will be game changers in your countries. You have the power to decide if your leaders will be held accountable or if you will look the other way. You have the capacity to decide if the standard and the rules will be the same for everyone, regardless of ethnicity or of wealth. And you will determine the direction of your countries where the hard work of the many is lost to the personal desires and benefit of a few, or whether you build open, honest, stronger countries where everyone rises together. As I mentioned in the beginning of my intervention, it has not been easy. However, important changes in our countries won't ever come from easy path. And for me, there's no long or short path. There's only one way to do it, which is the right path. Thank you. Thanks for your attention. Thank you very much for your very inspirational talk. Um, this morning when I came to the office, I told my colleague, Emilia, I said, are you ready? He said, no, I'm going to the library. I said, he must be crazy. I was going to get this book. And I'm glad that my words about the author of this book have inspired you to, to, wow. to help you with your speech as well. Um, we are going to be opening the floor for questions. I will abuse my right as the chair to put forward one very quick question, and then I'll open the floor to you all. And, um, and I will give you the rules in a second. One, one thing that I want to say is corruption is pervasive all over the world. Um, Latin America has been a victim of corruption massively in the last few, several years. What advice would you give the region to tackle this destructive trend, which is permanently part of the landscape? The most important thing is accountability, you know, that we are, you have to follow the political leaders, the government officers, and also make sure that the people that cross to public life have the right intentions. If you have people crossing to public life to make money, to have access to power, to protect their own interests, then the result is going to be that. Just uh, using the political power to do business, to do money. And at the end, the positions that we have are very important positions. We manage a lot of wealth, a lot of power, and if we use it for the wrong purposes, then that's, that opens the door to corruption. So it will be very important to make sure that you elect honest people, even though if, if you can question them, but honesty should be the first, the first option because um, at the end you, you, you end up being the administrator of the world that belongs to the people. So if you do it right with social criteria, with transparency, efficiency, you end up helping many people and changing their life. So I would say that just when there's time to, to when election time comes, make sure that whoever you vote for is an honest person and you can follow his life and, and you can be sure that you're voting for somebody that is going to be an honest leader for the country. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Okay, I'm going to open the floor for questions. Uh, what I'd like to do is um, there will be a microphone being rotated around the room. I would like to please be brief. Um, we don't want another speech. Just be very brief with your question. And please identify yourself, your affiliation. And then I probably will end up taking three questions at a time, and then we'll open the floor for another three, if possible. So who would like to go first? Yes, gentlemen. 
Good morning, Mr. President. Thanks for these uh, comments <clears throat> on corruption and transparency. My name is Jacopo De Toni with the FDI magazine Financial Times. Uh, talking of corruption and transparency, um, Latin America has been shaken by this uh, scandal, the Odebrecht scandal, and Panama is no exception. You yourself admitted receiving funds by Odebrecht during the 2009 presidential, vice presidential campaign, obviously denied any wrongdoing. So my question is, where do you also, from a policymaking perspective, where do you draw a line between a political donation, legit political donation, and corruption? talking of a company that later on uh, would go on and beg a contract for millions of dollars in your country. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, oh, shall we take another question? That's okay. Oh. You want to go ahead? Go ahead. No, take, the, take both. Yes, in the back. Uh, hi, uh, Mr. President. Uh, I'm an engineer from Imperial College, and I'm from China. So my first question is that last year, you set up the formal diplomatic relations with People's Republic of China. That is obviously a great progression for the friendship between our two countries. And would you mind providing us more details about the setting up the formal diplomatic relations with China. Because some people say only four people know your decision before the formal announcement. And the, the second question I'm, is I'm going to call you there for a second. I'm just going to take another question later on. But let, let's just hold it there. And I'll take the last one for this round on this side, please. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm Ecuadorian. I am a postgraduate student over here. And following up the question on corruption and also the fact that you mentioned that people on the judicial system were appointed by the executive branch but are absolutely independent. How are you able to clean up the, the judicial power to abolish the entrenchment of corruption in that power or to, to avoid having corruption continuing widespreading over there? Thank you very much, Michael. Mr. President. Okay, first, I would like to answer to the reporter, Financial Times. Thanks for the question. It gave me the opportunity to share this story with everybody here at the audience. When I decided to become the president of Panama, the president of the party in 2004, I took over the political party, the left with by 10%, a lot of corruption in that government from my party. Then I took I was in the private sector, and I took the party in 2004, 2006. And the, I was a campaign manager for, for a candidate. Uh, he sold his bank. Uh, he said, no, I'm not running, so you, you run. So I said, okay, I'm going to run. If you're not running, I'm running. 2008, he sold, he sold the bank, and he decided to come in the primary to run against me, and I wanted to, be, to win the nomination with my own money and to follow my career with my own money. I was a very successful professional, not businessman. So I started asking loans to the banks, and I defeated him 62-38%, and I finished my primary owing $4 million to different suppliers and the <laughs> banks. Then uh, I have to fight the former President Martinelli. I was a presidential candidate, and when I came with, with like a four million debt, I stepped down and became the vice president of President Martinelli. At that moment, uh, this company approached some members of my campaign and they gave the first support of $150,000. And they were a company doing business in Panama as any other company, as any other uh, uh, multinational company. So they were like, that's the way campaign, campaign were financed in Latin America. You hire a lawyer or you hire a lobbyist, or you hire an advisor, and then you send the donation to that person. Then they find another person that came to, that was raising money for the campaign. This person uh, supported my campaign for vice president, and I reported all the checks to the government, and they are there. 
So after that, I became the vice president of Panama, and I am one of the few politicians in Latin America that has publicly accepted to have received donations through third parties for my campaign from that company and from other companies that have been prosecuted for corruption too in the region. Then after I became the vice president of Panama, uh, they kept their relationship with some kind of lobbies that supported my political party and all candidates in my party, not just my candidacy, mayors, legislators, and they were involved in many social projects for, for the campaign, you know, Christmas, uh, to uh, the conventions, and they were involved, and I was the vice president at that time. And not just that company, many other people were supporting the, the campaign because they knew as vice president that I was going to be the, the candidate for the next, next election. But I can assure you that any of my decision that I've taken in public life has anything to do with that donation. And all the contracts that they have been assigned during my government as president of Panama, I can, I can go to anywhere and prove that there have been public uh, a contest. And if I have done something wrong, the Attorney General of Panama has to be able to put them a fine of $220 million in 10 years and be able to prosecute the company and their executive. Uh, so if I am hiding something, Believe me, I wouldn't be uh, uh, supporting the way I can do it, the, all the process of recovering all this money in Panama. And it was just not, not Odebrecht. Odebrecht is like the Panama Papers. People want to put uh, the name of tax evasion to Panama because suddenly they found a law firm with the name of, uh, uh, that was in Panama, and suddenly tax evasion, which is a global problem, oh, it's Panama Papers, it's Panama. Corruption in Latin America is not just, not just Odebrecht. It's many companies, many governments, many people, many candidates. Suddenly they found, like, well, this is a very, very big case because of what happened in Brazil. But when Odebrecht was supporting candidates and parties, all parties and many candidates, not just in Panama, in all Latin America, nobody knew about Lavallato, nobody knew about Petrobras, nobody knew about all this big corruption structure that was functioning inside Brazil that at some point was used to expand the interests of, of the Brazilian government to other countries in the region. So... I can, what I can say to you today is my commitment to fight, to the fight against corruption is uh, uh, 100%, and we have recovered a lot of money, but as I mentioned in my speech, I was not able to stop the projects. 10,000 innocent people working for that company, and more than one, the airport would have been uh, shut down the project. The many projects important for the people. And what happened in Panama? First was Odebrecht, and then two years after Odebrecht came another case with 10 contractors together. So what's, that's why I defend what I did, and I can say it publicly here, and you have to do it again, I, I will do it again. I mean, I, we, I think now the campaign that I'm, where the, the candidates are going now in my government is totally different to the one I won. In my campaign, you know, all my phone conversations were being listened by the former government, police units were following me, uh, they passed a law to affect the company of my family that cost millions of dollars. Uh, all my campaign uh, supporters were being threat, it was a very dif uh, different campaign in 2014. The campaign in 2019 is going to be a very different campaign. And we have changed the rules of the game, and especially we have changed how you can finance campaigns, because now all the money spent in advertising has to come from the government. You're not allowed to spend money from, the, from donations. In that, that way, we keep uh, you know, the leverage on the weight of, of these donations inside the campaigns, and we are able also to have more transparent campaigns. So we have changed a lot. We passed an electoral reform that allows to, to take away money from the private sector, from the media, which is the most expensive uh, part of the campaign. So I would say that the fight against corruption in Panama 
uh, is taking place, and it's not this situation that other red supporter might my campaign through third parties when I was candidate for vice president that I accepted publicly in my country, the one that is take distant from me and, and the desire that I have to serve my people and to defend their interests. Thank and you, this, the second question about China, you want more details? <laughs> well, dealing with the, well, the first thing is that when we decided to, to if, if I was involved in shady business, as some people may think, I would never be uh, with China today because imagine how much money could have been offered uh, by staying the, the same track. We, we went to China and we decided uh, to just establish relationship with them by doing the right thing, recognizing the white China policy. And we didn't ask for anything. After we recognized, the government of China is going to support some project, but we changed to China just by shaking hands and, tell, and, and now they call it, as I mentioned, the Panama case here and the fight against corruption. The, how we did it with China, they call it the Panama way, how Panama did it. And now another country did it the same way as it did it, Dominican Republic, not asking for any economic support, just shaking hands and doing the right thing, which is supporting the One China policy. And what you mentioned, especially on the, I can, I can say today publicly here in front of all of you that we have fixed corruption in the executive branch, but I cannot say the same in the other branches of the government, judicial and the legislative. That's what I'm proposing to my country that on May 5th of 2019 that we have a general election we can elect also 60 new members that, that, according to our constitution, we can write a new parallel constitution, and we can elect 60 new members to write that constitution that, that will be approved by the people. I feel that the only way to fix corruption in the other uh, branches of government will be to change the constitution and have a different structure on how we elect officers for the assembly and how, judicial, how judges for the Supreme Court are elected. So it's very difficult for me, as president of the country, to fix the, the corruption problem that we can have in Congress and in, in the Supreme Court, because that's up to other branches of, 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 the, of, the, of the government. But that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I'm proposing, and I just open a debate in my country, to see if we move forward to, uh, to elect uh, on May 5th of 2019, 60 constitutional members that can write a new constitution to protect our country from corruption in the executive, legislative, and judicial branch. Thank you very much. I'm going to take three rounds of questions again. Um, one in the back here, uh, in the middle, in the middle, here. No? The person in the middle here. Yeah. Hi. My name is Ruth Green. I'm a journalist at the International Bar Association. Can you speak um, up a little bit? Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm a journalist at the International Bar Association. Uh, you mentioned the Panama Papers. Obviously, I know it's not your favorite topic, uh, but I wanted to ask you, I know that you set up an independent commission to investigate the lack of transparency in the country's financial system as a result of the Panama Papers. I wondered if you could update us on the progress. Uh, and also, just a second one, just about... Um, the elections next year, obviously you said you've made some changes to try and ensure that there are less issues related to campaign financing. What about uh, in relation to electoral interference? We've seen it in other countries. How well equipped is Panama to cope with potential foreign interference in the elections next year? Thank you very much. Very tricky. Two questions in one. In the back, yes, you? Your Excellency. One question, please. Mr. President. It's a pleasure to have you here. My name is Abdullah Fathi, and I'm from the United Arab Emirates, where you were visiting a few months ago and met with our Prime Minister. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about the bilateral trade relationship you have with the UAE and what the Panamanian government and companies are doing to accelerate this potentially robust bilateral trade relationship? UAE. Thank you very much. And your name was? Okay. We have a treaty relationship. One in front, yeah. Please. Uh, thank you, President Varela, for your speech here. Um, um, along your speech, you mentioned about the, how the raising production of drug in Colombia poses uh, challenges for security in Panama. And as a Colombian, I would like to know about how are you working alongside the Colombian government to fight jointly the drug production and trafficking? Or if instead you consider that this is a problem that should be addressed individually by each nation or that's, yeah. So okay. all together you have like five questions there. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. First, um, Panama Papers, uh, the, since I was vice president of Panama, we start passing some regulations uh, and negotiating double taxation agreements and different uh, to protect our financial system and make sure it's not used for any legal purposes. That was 26 months. I was Minister of Foreign Affairs, then I went to the opposition. Uh, everything that we were doing was stopped. When we came back, we took back aggressively uh, uh, the agenda for financial transparency, you know, negotiating with the OECD, you know, passing laws, regulations to have a more transparent financial system. And uh, especially with the Panama Papers situation, even the, the one of the, the lawyers involved in the Panama Papers scandal belongs to my political party. He left government uh, be, uh, then when, when this happened. He, he has been investigated by the Panamanian justice, especially by the Attorney General. And, and today the firm is closed. So 800 people lost their jobs because that, there was no, no, no way to, they, the firm is closed. But I would like to, to let you know that legal services in our, in our country is just 0.1%. 0.1% of our economy. So it is not fair trying to define a country because of a scandal in a law firm and because it leaks some information when the Panamanian economy is about the canal, the airport, the ports, the tourism, the financial service, not about legal services. So we're not willing to commit the image of our country just because of that business, and that's why we pass all the laws and regulations needed, and we created a special commission led by the, uh, the the Minister of Finance that is present here to make sure, and all other cabinet members, that that doesn't happen again. Um, the other question that you mentioned was uh, so social media? I don't think, I don't, you know, I feel that there's uh, this, this situation with social media interfering in elections, you know, at the end, and the people, they need to vote, and how they get their information. Uh, it's very important. You cannot be, you cannot be influenced by, by just social media, and you cannot be taking decisions just by social media. So there's no way, because it can be done from Russia, it can be done from other countries, but at the end somebody in our countries can also open 100 accounts and start you know, sending messages. Even I met with uh, Prime Minister Theresa May yesterday, and just one journalist from one agency translate one word in the wrong way. And all, like, I went to bed like 4.30 in the morning. I just slept like two hours today because, because of one mistake of one journalist. I've been attacked. I mean, I met with all the leaders of this country. A great meeting yesterday. And because of one mistake on one journalist, I was, I've been attacking my country the whole day. That Prime Minister May, uh, you know, came to me and asked me about different things. It was a very constructive meeting. So I think social media has to be used in a constructive way. And if the political leaders start paying attention to social media or using social media to take their decisions, uh, it's very dangerous. 
Social media is a very powerful tool for citizens to inform each other, to have access to information, but it's not the place to define policies, or it's not the place, or, or, uh, and the campaign shouldn't be defined by social media. Your question was about uh, the, we, I went to Dubai, to be honest, I was very impressed with that country. One thing that I was very impressed is that people respect authority. So social media, if we don't handle that right, then people is losing respect for the authorities. And when you lose respect for authority, the countries don't function. I lost a friend two months ago because one taxi driver decided to cross the highway and he was riding a motorcycle and he killed him. And there was a big sign that you cannot cross the highway, five lanes of the highway. And, and so because we need the country's smart function, wait for election. You don't like your president, you don't like your mayor, your legislator, wait for the election and get rid of them. But you have to respect authority, but this is the only way the country's function. So I like the Emirates because of, I saw a lot of respect. I can give you an example. Tourism in, in Dubai is close to 16 million, 16 million uh, tourists going to Dubai every year. They eliminated visas to the Chinese tourists. They are receiving 800,000 Chinese tourists. But if you stay one more day, they will, look, they will go to the hotel, knock the door, say the 90 days are over, you have to go back to your country. So why? Because there's a respect for the law of that country, and that's why the country is functioning. That's how Dubai has allowed more than 8 million foreigners to come and build the beautiful country that we see today, because there's a respect for law. So we're looking to build a closer relationship with Dubai, and even when I came back to Panama from Dubai, I launched what I call the Falcon Policy. After recognizing China and establishing diplomatic relationship with China, now we want to get uh, closer to India, to the Middle East, to Southeast Asia, and to Africa and Australia, and we're going to be doing that from Dubai. So we'll be there for 2020 Expo, and we're working to get a direct flight from Dubai to Panama uh, next year, and we see a great future in our bilateral relations with the, with the Emirates. And the last question was about Colombia, a very important question. I think that President Santos did the right thing in negotiating uh, peace with the FARC because it's less war. But there's a problem. The FARC and the ELN are not about the ideology. Their links to drug trafficking has been proved in the past years. And they can be replaced from guerrillas to what they've been doing for many years as drug traffickers in just one second. The areas in the border between Panama and and Costa Rica and, and Colombia that were, were the strong president, had a strong president of the FARC, are now controlled by the ELN. When aerial eradication was suspended, uh, eliminated three years ago, drug production in Colombia has gone from 300 to 400 metric tons to 1,200 metric tons, from 50,000 hectares to 140, even they say 200,000 hectares. It's out of control. And the, the bad Part of this news is that that drug is making its way to Europe. And the profit, one kilo of cocaine costs $30,000 in the United States. And the profit is split between six organizations, criminal organizations. One kilo of cocaine costs $80,000 in Europe. And the profit is made by just one organization that gets the drug, put it into a container, and 85% of the drug that is put into a container in America is making its way to the European market, 85%. It's a high number. It's a big challenge. So you're going to see security number change if this situation is not uh, taken care of by the different governments. Uh, it's a big threat, and I feel that even for Panama, we're seeing that. We reduced crime by 50% in three years. I haven't been able to go to my objective because of this 
increase in drug production. I reduced from 17 homicides at in per year in per 100,000 citizens to 10. And my objective is to go to five. Has been difficult for me in the past two years, mainly because of this increase of drug production. There are elections in Colombia. It will be up to the Colombian people and the, the new leaders of Colombia to take decisions to retake the fight against drug trafficking and how they're going to take care of this increase in drug production that is not just affecting Colombia, it's affecting Central America, and right now it's starting to affect Europe. Thank you very much. We have time for one more round, very short one. Sherry, in the front, please. Thank you, Dr. Idia from LSE Ideas. Um, my question in here, because I heard your very revealing story regarding infrastructure building in Panama. So perhaps I see a connection between China and Panama in here. So as you know, the Belt and Road Initiative put forward by President Xi Jinping is one of the flagship foreign affairs um, initiative. Would you consider in future Panama would somehow join or endorse that perspective? And also, is there any possibilities for Panama later to join Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank? Thank you. Thank yes, you so much. we have identified, um, we are joining the, 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 this, this initiative, and we have identified one project uh, that we're working together with the Chinese government, which is to, to build a railroad between Panama and the border with Costa Rica. It's a 500-kilometer a railroad that will help also improve the quality of life of our citizens. It will bring public services closer to the, where the people live. It will expand, uh, you know, the the potential of our of our country. It will get our ports closer to to the production, uh, to the farms in Panama in the border between Costa Rica and with Costa Rica. In the future, that railroad could be keep uh, being built uh, to Costa Rica and to other countries in Central America. Uh, there are many uh, Chinese and Panamanian engineers already working on that. For the feasibility study, we feel that it's going to be a $5 billion project. And if it's feasible, then we will move forward with negotiations to, to do it with, uh, with financing from China and using Chinese technology for that. If you go to Panama today, there are companies from Japan is getting ready to build the line three of the metro. Uh, France is working on the line two of the metro. Korea and the U.S. are working in a new LNG gas plan, a billion-dollar investment. Australia uh, is, is finishing, uh, Australian companies are finishing, uh, finishing a copper mine that is going to open next year, start exporting copper, one 350 metric tons that will increase our economy by 3 to 4%. So if you go to Panama, you will find many companies, people from many countries just using uh, uh, our geographic position and, and, and take, to take advantage of that position to expand their presence in the Caribbean and, and Central America. The Ministry of Finance is already negotiating to be, so we can become part of the Asian Infrastructure Bank, and we see a bright, uh, a bright future in relationship with China. And there are many Chinese companies, uh, there are many Chinese companies competing for infrastructure projects in Panama. They are winning and they are losing the way it should be. Thank but you. they are involved in building a cruise terminal on the Pacific, a convention center, and a big housing project uh, very close to Panama City. Thank you very much, President Varela. And just to follow up, because we are running out of time, do you think we're going to see an FTA with China in the next <laughs> year or so? Here's the Minister of Commerce and, uh, and uh, the, the team that is going to be in charge of the negotiation. We're putting that team together, and we expect them to, to travel to Beijing soon to install the negotiations. And, and it seems that President Xi Jinping is going to visit Panama on the way to G20. Uh, we're not sure about it. They have to confirm uh, on the way to the G20 in Argentina. So there's an uh, objective to, to advance as much as we can the treaty by, for, for that visit. And in 2019, January 2019, Pope Francis is also coming to Panama for World Youth Day with more than 300,000 pilgrims from 192 countries.
Thank you so much, President Varela. I'm going to ask everyone to remain seated. Um, just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. The LSE has been a, a great pleasure for you, for us to have you here uh, to give us uh, your views on Latin America. As well, we have a, a small present for you. Um, it's an LSE tie <laughs> that we would like you to, to wear at some point. And um, also to, to say that we look forward to strengthening the ties, speaking of ties, between <laughs> the LSE and Canada. So having said that, I would like to conclude this particular lecture. I'm going to ask everyone to remain seated. Um, I think it's been a great pleasure to have the opportunity for both me and I think all of you to listen to President Varela. Thank you very much for your visit. We are most grateful you could find time in your visit schedule to, to be with us today. Same for all of you as well. And the Chevening scholars, please see Anna, uh, because I live in the room. And I'm going to ask you to, to remain serious. I escort President out of the lecture theater. So thank you so much. I would like to give him a, a warm welcome and a warm applause. <laughs>